Hi, everyone. My name is Chad Nitschke, co-founder and CEO of Bunker, and also host of this podcast, Ready, Set, Work. Ready, Set, Work is a podcast series focused on the future of work, specifically highlighting all different perspectives from the gig economy to on-demand platforms and more. Join us each episode to hear from thought leaders paving the way toward the future of work. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Ready, Set, Work. I'm here today with Rob Biederman, co-founder and CEO of Catalent. Uh, thanks for being here, Rob. It's great to have you on. Great to be on. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. So I'll confess that I've uh, personally been a fan of Catalent for quite some time. So actually going back to the early days when it was called Hourly Nerd, um, and I think it was actually Greylock, uh, one of your investors, that provided the intro to your team, uh, Andrea Black, um, and that's back when we were getting started, kind of early, early days at Bunker. And maybe for the benefit of our listeners, do you want to just uh, share a little bit about Catalent and how it's supporting and solving problems toward the future of work? For sure, for sure. So, you know, we started uh, Catalent, or we started Hourly Nerd almost six years ago, and the ingoing assumption of our company was largely that in 2013, and obviously even more true now in 2018, work didn't necessarily need to be defined as a relationship that you would have with an employer uh, where you would work at the same job uh, every day, uh, you know, for 50 weeks a year and 40 hours a week. But instead, in the era of uh, Uber and TaskRabbit and Lyft, uh, there might be the chance to have a far more dynamic, exciting work life that consisted of um, lots of interactions with lots of different folks who would give you work. So we set out to build a marketplace where we would connect uh, high-quality elite business experts uh, with companies who could benefit from their from their talent. And uh, these days, we now have 60,000 people on the platform, and we work with about 30% of the Fortune 100. And what we do for them is uh, you know, really help help connect those people to a far more interesting spontaneous and, uh, and really fulfilling uh, professional journey. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And um, what inspired you to solve the problem and start the company? You know, I think the way that traditional corporations source talent um, makes it difficult for different types of people to participate, whether you have, um, you're stuck in a geographic location where there isn't necessarily a job that's interesting to you, or maybe you have skills that are best deployed across a wide variety of companies rather than just one. Um, it was very clear to us back then that we needed a new work arrangement that would be a lot more inclusive uh, and help a much broader variety of people uh, you know, get involved and monetize their expertise. That's great. And then um, if you think about like the users and the Catalan platform, and maybe we can start with um, kind of the expert and supply side and then go to the demand side, but what is, is there a typical user? So you talked about um, you know, are these individuals that are kind of augmenting some other sort of income? Are they doing it full time? Uh, is it kind of a wide range of, you know, experts that are on the platform? Yeah, they're, they're people who almost exclusively are working in this uh, part of the economy. Now, they may not do all of their work through the Catalan platform, uh, but these are not people who have full time jobs or moonlighting on the side. They are people who really committed to uh, really being on the independent business expert side. And they've, they've looked at the, you know, universal available jobs and concluded that probably the best way to be compensated for their expertise is in this kind of model. And I think there's a lot of upsides that um, go along with a more flexible, independent life, most notably among them, 
uh, that if you're somebody who has truly special expertise, this is a great way to get out of the traditional kind of um, uh, bands and pay scales of, of big companies, that if you're truly somebody who's 10 times better, you can, you can make a lot more money uh, working for yourself. Oh. And then on the demand side, is it kind of a wide range of organizations, kind of down to small businesses? And then you mentioned um, a really uh, impressive kind of market share on the Fortune 500. Is it, is it a pretty wide spectrum? It is a wide spectrum. We, de- we tend to be very concentrated in the Fortune 100 and the Fortune 250 uh, within a, a good deal of business with investment firms and uh, asset managers, private equity firms and the like. No, I think historically our, our grounding was very much on the small business side, but what we've seen over time is that uh, the, the talent problems that companies have are actually most pronounced for the biggest companies, the biggest companies that have the most difficult time uh, source, sourcing and accessing the most important talent that they can get. And so, you know, accordingly, um, you know, the puck tends to go where the need is the most deep, and we've definitely seen that that's on kind of the Fortune 100 enterprise side. Yeah, that makes sense. And then... Um, one of the words, and I know you guys talk about this a lot at Catalent, um, uh, relating to the on-demand economy, is just agility. Um, so that comes up as a pretty consistent theme. And I'm curious if you think about that word, like what does it mean to you uh, for a business to be agile from a talent perspective? I think what we're seeing across really the whole Fortune 500 right now is that sources of disruption are coming in really surprising ways that nobody could have possibly anticipated. And so to, at the beginning of the year, set your, you know, strategy, one thing that you know as the, as the leader of a big company these days is that there's going to be a lot of unforeseen developments. And so you want to have a talent strategy uh, that really matches that. And that's sort of where our lowercase a agile comes in, which is that, you know, in the same way that waterfall, you know, long cascades of, of software product development made a lot more sense for you know, an on-premise world with, with periodic deployments, the idea that, you know, rapidly iterating and, and dropping live, um, you know, code into a site and, and understanding in, in much more real-time terms what skills and resources are needed has a lot of the same uh, themes, that you want to be deeply responsive to market, so you just can't possibly plan it in advance. And that's exacerbated by the fact that for traditional um, roles, the, the life cycle of any one job posting can be six to nine to 12 months. And so if you think about your competitor releases a new product, you didn't know that you needed to be proficient at that area. Starting to learn about that space in six to 12 months isn't really viable. You need to start learning about that space like this week. And so taking a far more um, you know, dynamic approach to talent is, is almost a no-brainer in a world where upcoming business challenges are so unforeseen. Got it. Yeah. And so you mentioned, uh, you know, 30% of the Fortune 500 uh, that you work with today. And so there's another 70% that are out there. And, and what do you think in terms of like those new prospects, those new clients, um, what are some of the barriers that they think of um, associated with, you know, utilizing independent workers and um, a more agile workforce? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the most uh, difficult challenges that people have um, in trying to learn how to use our space or learn how to use our company is that it's just so non-intuitive to think about turning what yesterday would have been a job description into a project that people are so committed to the um, the way that they've historically sourced talent that it's actually really difficult to um, even 
conceptualize how you would um, source talent this way. And the most difficult challenge among them is obviously turning a uh, potential job into a project. And that, that is really hard if you think, you know, we have a problem with on-demand customer acquisition. Um, you know, that, you just saying we need somebody with customer, you know, demand generation experience is a lot easier than specifically scoping out a specific project with a beginning and end in the middle. And so we probably spend 80 or 90% of our time with our customers, not, not selling to them, but actually educating them on how they can consume talent in this way and, and how it's better and, you know, what stumbling blocks to watch out for. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I don't know if this resonates with you, but um, so my background is from the insurance industry. And just to do a little kind of tangent, um, it, you know, like we used to in the insurance industry, um, and it's notorious for this, just hire like a mountain of consultants. Um, so in other words, there was a problem to solve and you would just hire like a mountain of consultants to kind of come in and it would be a six month project. And um, I honestly used to complain about that quite a bit, um, not because I have anything against consultants, but... I always felt like the, the way that they approached it was anything but agile, right? It was um, almost like smothering a, a smaller problem with just a, a really long-term um, kind of resource-intensive um, solution. And I'm curious, does that resonate with you? And have you seen, is that like part of the problem that you're focused on solving? Absolutely. You know, I think the... Um the biggest challenge that traditional consulting firms have is that they have a very traditional work model. And so they have a traditional work model, and yet they're trying to advise companies on very non-traditional problems, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, it's very difficult for McKinsey to be driving the absolute best and latest and brightest thinking, rather than actually dragging in people who've actually been in the space. And so, I, to me, it's a... Uh, it, Using conventional problems to, uh, means to solve unconventional problems is just not very likely to succeed. And yes, your point on um, kind of smothering a problem with lots of, you know, so-called experts and people, particularly when the team is overstaffed and is really getting up to speed, I, you know, I just think it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It would honestly personally drive me crazy. That was one of my biggest frustrations inside of the industry. It was, um, you know, kind of deploying that sort of solution, just literally spending hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on consultants that would ultimately kind of smother the project. And it was, um, it could have been solved in just a, um, you know, kind of a much more lightweight way. So that makes sense. Um, and then on the other side of that, so in other words, if you're uh, an expert out there, um, are there hesitations in terms of like making this move to become uh, more independent? You know, I think it can. Be, it's obviously a very big change if you if you're used to you know potentially going into work um, full time uh, for you know for a lot of people on the platform five, ten, twenty years of their lives. It's, it requires you to be a lot more self directed. It certainly requires you to. Uh, think more critically about where your skills really lie um, and how you present yourself to the market. I think people on our platform definitely report that they feel a much greater degree of connection and purpose and meaning in their work. Uh, but there are obviously some downsides, one of which is that it's, you know, it's, it can be lonely uh, working by yourself. And so for that reason, we've really encouraged a lot of teaming on the platform. So people will actually work with others that they've met on the platform or met in the in the offline world. And that really facilitates people both supplying much more interesting output to people, but then also um, having some of that human touch and emotion 
that you know can otherwise be missing. Yep, no, that makes sense. And what are some of the things that you've seen <clears throat> that experts have done to distinguish themselves on the platform and, you know, maybe be in that kind of top quartile of talent uh, for enterprises that utilize Catalan? The, pe the people who do disproportionately well are the people who have truly uh, differentiated subject matter expertise. So they're people who really have carved out an area where they are a true expert. They can speak to that effectively. And they have expertise that's uh, really, you know, really resonant and meaningful with customers who are willing to pay for it, um, which is, you know, probably sounds a little tautological when you think about, um, you know, who, who in the economy is successful. But I think in many respects, our our platform is actually really a um, a microcosm of that, which is that uh, you see in real time in a marketplace people who have truly differentiated insights or skills in areas where big companies feel exposed tend to do really well. The people that tend to be more generalists, um, you know, don't, don't win quite as many projects. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm curious, just in your perspective, do you think that results in, you know, just happier workers? Um, you know, so in other words, like one, organizations uh, focus quite a bit of time on engagement um, and just making sure that their workers are, um, happy, and I guess in what you just described, you have a worker who is really, really focusing on what they what they really love to do and what they're really good at. And um, I'm curious, have you seen that that manifest itself into just workers just generally being happier uh, doing that sort of work? For sure, I think there's everybody wants to do things that they're good at. Um, and one thing that uh, our customers tell us is that one of the problems they have with full time employees in concept is that you, because you can't possibly know what your company's needs are going to be for the, the following year, you might staff to kind of the middle of the fan of outcomes of what skill sets you're going to need, but then you're going to um, end up probably overstaffing with generalists in order to make sure that you're not um, exposed in any you know, broad area. And then those generalists are going to be consistently groping in the dark a little bit um, for the very specific skill sets that might actually be the most relevant thing. And so work outside of sweet spot is a is a you know a big source of um, efficiency drag in big companies and is also you know pretty annoying on the on the supplier side when, when you're the the worker and you're being asked to do something you're not good at you know very often that can be pretty frustrating and demotivating yep and then flipping over to the enterprise side and um, you don't have to use uh, names if you don't want to but I'm curious if you've had maybe one or two specific examples of companies that have really kind of made the switch, um, being able to leverage like an independent workforce uh, from being kind of that old, you know, kind of more old school traditional workforce. And I, I guess, what do you think were the kind of one or two things that led them to be successful in kind of making that, making that switch? Like how did they have to change kind of, you know, internally as a company? For sure. I mean, the, the, the most important um, driver of being successful in this way of resourcing is actually, I think, harkens back to something that's pretty core to being successful as a company, and that's having a really clear-eyed notion of where you're going and why. And this is probably no surprise, but the companies that, when we meet with them, everybody at the company is all in on some strategic aspect. Um, those are the companies that do really well in our platform, where they have a really clear sense of exactly what's required on the road to get somewhere. Um, and uh, the ones where they're kind of 
looking into problems or thinking about spaces, but there's no real commercial agenda uh, are the companies that experience less success. I will say, we usually actually, you might think that a platform like ours works a lot like um, many other staffing companies and would work with you know, human resources or contingent workforce. We actually find that our most um, successful client champions tend to actually be people more on the business side, so the, the CEO or the CFO or the COO. And they think about the need for Catalan far more in the context of things that are trying to get done commercially than any kind of um, HR or talent related initiative. So it's almost an afterthought that that's how we do what we do. The why is that they need to be far more proficient at innovation or they need to bring in a much greater group of talent or whatever that is. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's actually a good segue into like, what do you think uh, like, so if you fast forward the clock five years, um, and you can speak specific to kind of Catalant and or just more broadly, the future of work, like, what do you think success looks like? Um, and maybe part of the answer is what you just mentioned, like a kind of a, a, a shifting mindset of an organization to think about talent in a different way. And I'm just curious to get your impression five years down the road, like, what do you think that looks like, uh, successfully? For sure. Um, you know, I think the most successful companies going forward are going to be the ones that are ruthlessly dynamic in how they think about resourcing. At the beginning of every year, they load in their most important initiatives to a system, hopefully Catalan system, and they say, what are the things we really need to do this year well in order to succeed as a company? Once they have that list, they look at how well they're resourced against those initiatives, both from a bandwidth perspective and also from a... Um, expertise perspective, and then they make a very aggressive plan to backfill the gap. So they realize that, you know, they, they don't have the 13 experts they need in artificial intelligence or, or big data to, to be successful. They then make a deliberate plan to go out and get those people. Uh, and that all leads to a world where um, market opportunities are being attacked in real time, rather than along the cycle of it's going to take six months to get somebody full-time in seat, then they're going to take three months to onboard. It's, it's, that, that is a, uh, the idea of using traditional resources, traditional full-time resources and consulting firms to uh, fight against digital disruption um, doesn't work just because of the very different timeframes that they're on. Yep. And then what do you think those services are that are just most in demand today? Um, so you mentioned like artificial intelligence and like what, what types of services do you see on the Catalan platform that are just in uh, greater demand from enterprises? We do, yeah, we certainly see a lot of demand for uh, anything relating to AI, anything relating to machine learning. We're definitely in a time now where uh, I think some advanced technologies that five years ago were really seen as pretty experimental are now actually deeply commercially relevant. And so there's a chance to, you know, uh, bring those technologies to bear in a way that is far more impactful um, uh, today than I think anybody would have thought a couple years ago. Um, and so for that reason, uh, relatively sciencey skill sets that I think a decade ago we would have said were interesting and um, potentially useful today are actually almost becoming a competitive um, imperative. If you if you you know if you're running a uh, retailer and you're not using advanced analytics on the customer side, the chance that you're serving those customers well is just not that high. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And um, 
So before we sign off here, any last thoughts for our uh, listeners? And I guess if, you know, if there's uh, somebody out there that wants to get involved as either an expert on the Catalan platform or, uh, you know, the flip side, hire some of the experts, uh, what's the best way to, to do so? Yeah, we would love to have anybody uh, just travel over to gocatalan.com. You can engage with uh, our team and we will uh, find a way to get you involved. I think, you know, the biggest change is that this is a uh, completely new era and I think people haven't even begun to think through all the implications of how different um, you know this is for the world uh, whether it means uh, what are the impacts on commercial real estate what are the impacts on commuting what are the impacts on the environment what does it mean for how families are structured or how people think about uh, you know sort of planning on their lives um, you know this if work moved to a more spontaneous uh, you know dynamic system Think there would be a tremendous amount of upside that results um, you know for the workers for the, for the companies and then you know, obviously for society as a whole yeah that is interesting so on the real estate piece i was at a hr summit uh, a few weeks ago and they were actually talking about that point specifically there was one company there that had piloted you know basically just a kind of a work remote um uh, um, just for one business unit and um, it, it did create some interesting I would say real estate uh, opportunities, right? Because you had, you know, people that were just working, you know, distributed, right? And um, all of a sudden they had, you know, this real estate they were paying for and it, uh, the facilities team was trying to decide, like, w- what do we do with that, you know, kind of longer term? Uh, because they're, they're, to your point, like, there's definitely some advantages if you move to kind of a more, you know, agile, nimble uh, workforce. And I think that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it could be a really positive force for, standards of living. Um, if you think about the fact that a lot of people are forced to live in big cities near where they can make money, uh, if we could all live in a slightly more distributed way, think of how much more land each person could have and how much less crowding or whatever there would be. So there's, a, there's I think, pretty material spillover benefits um, from the world moving in this way at work. Yeah, definitely. I kind of like to think of it as uh, democratizing talent, right? So you can access talent the way that it makes sense for you and, you know, talent can work the way that they want to work. Um, so no, I d- definitely think that makes sense. Could not agree more. Cool. Well, uh, thanks again, Rob, uh, for being on the podcast and it's been great to connect and uh, learn more about Catalan. And thanks to everyone listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in and we hope you can join us again on another episode of Ready, Set, Work. We love to hear from our listeners. If you have ideas, thoughts for guests, or suggestions for future podcast topics, please reach out. Tweet us at BunkerHQ using the hashtag ReadySetWork, or email us directly at hello at buildbunker.com. All right, back to work.